Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Vadnell, Australian physiotherapist and calisthenics expert. William Sue is a bodyweight beast, pushing the envelope of human potential. His reflections on training are deeply philosophical and thought-provoking. William is the best type of teacher. He's not afraid to share his lessons, be it triumph, struggle, or everything in between. Why did you stop bodybuilding and start calisthenics? So actually, the, the, the main reason why I did bodybuilding was to actually overcome my feeling of fear. Because when I was younger, I hated being on stage. I hated being the center of attention. I could not get on stage and talk. I would just freeze. And so I found that as a good kind of tool, avenue to try to break through that and go up on stage and actually be the center of attention. So that's the reason why I did it. And I think I also did it because people were telling me I had a pretty good physique. So I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I didn't think I had a good physique at the time, but I was like, yeah, maybe I have the genetics for it, so why not give it a go? So I trained for it for maybe one year, did it, competed. And then after that, I was like, that was a very fun experience. But it's kind of like, it's one of those things where you do it once or you keep doing, just because it's just so taxing in your body. Like the motivation, the dedication, the way you have to kind of eat certain foods at certain times, you can't really socialize. It was just too much, I couldn't handle it. So I enjoyed the experience and then I was just looking for something different. I found that when I was bodybuilding, I was very stiff. That could be partly because I never stretched as well. And so I got jacked, I got like massive. And I just felt like, oh, you know, this is like this. And I was like, oh man, this is not cool. And even buying clothes was super hard. I was like constantly buying clothes. Like my arms were massive. So like the sleeves were like stretched out and the waist was like super massive because my waist was quite slim. So it was just things like that. I was like, oh, this is not cool. And so I was looking for something for more movement-based, something a bit more freer where I could actually transition quite comfortably. So that's why I chose calisthenics because it's, it's body weight movement. It's uh, still, you can work on hypertrophy. You can still get big to some degree. Obviously not as big as you could bodybuilding, but it was a good sacrifice to lose a bit of mass in order to gain a little bit of freedom in terms of uh, flexibility to some degree. So that's kind of why I stopped bodybuilding and switched to calisthenics. Why specifically calisthenics as opposed to a whole host of other types of fitness that you could have chose from? Um, I think at the time when I transitioned, calisthenics was quite new and it came, it was, it came to me as quite interesting. And so I think I saw someone draw a front lever or something a while ago and I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I, I tried it and I was like, holy shit, this is so hard. And so that kind of gave me the drive and the motivation to actually try to do this kind of movement. And so when I tried it and I, and I trained for it and I got it, I was like, oh, I'm hooked. This is so cool. Like I can actually move my body in different ways like this and it's still like strength orientated. I can still maintain some degree of this muscle mass. So then I kept exploring, exploring different movements, exploring the muscle up and those other ones. There was also you, you know, I saw you on YouTube, which was quite inspiring. <laughs> and so yeah it was just uh, I think it was just a natural progression for me from going from bodybuilding to calisthenics it just made sense at that time from your experience what have you seen to be the most common ways that people self-sabotage when it comes to their training I think one is they're not very present in their session uh, so it could be they just have a bad day or they have 
something happens to them and they're just not there. And so when you're not there, it's like you're not really performing the movement to the fullest potential quality that it actually deserves. And because you're not there, you're kind of mindless, and that's where you can be more susceptible to injury because you're not, probably not engaging the right muscles. You're probably just doing the movement where it's going to be the easiest for your body to perform that movement, what is the most efficient. Uh, so that's one. Two is they don't have a, a goal or an intention. They're kind of blamelessly walking in knowing, not, not knowing what to do and just kind of seeing other people do things and copy them and thinking that that's, that's good. And, you know, just cherry-picking this person's movement, that person's movement, this person's movement, oh, that's cool, and just hoping for the best. Um, so that's two. And three, I'd say they, they limit themselves. They limit the potential of what they can actually achieve, um, which I think is, to some degree, is quite common. I mean, I also find myself I limit myself too, and that stops me from actually doing the things that I can actually do. So for example, when I was doing the alternating one-arm hang, right, I'd never done that before. Um, I had done a one-arm hang and a two-arm hang, so I had a rough idea of how long I could probably hold it for. I was expecting 10 minutes. That was my limit in my head. I reached that 10-minute mark, and I was like, huh. I can keep going. Should I keep going? I didn't know what to do. It's like, I think this is my limit, but it's not my limit. So I kept going, I kept going, got to the 12 minute mark, 14 minute mark, 16 minute mark. And eventually I got to the 20 minute mark. And I was like, wow, I just doubled my expectation. So it's like that limitation that we place upon ourselves is something that kind of hinder our growth and what we can actually think or what we can achieve through our beliefs. Yeah. So I find that a lot with the stuff that I do. It's like I play and I don't have any expectation. I just try. And because I don't have an expectation, it's like I don't know what my, my limit is until I reach that limit. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's actually my limit. Those are some fantastic insights and I couldn't agree more. Like if people take that away and apply that, they will just go to the sky with what they're able to achieve. And it's fascinating with the psychology of effort where if someone was to load the bar or a weight around you and you didn't know how much weight there was on there, progressively going up to a one rep max, you would probably lift more than you would if you had an artificial amount that you're trying to go to yourself. So there's almost some type of test that you can do with that as well where just say you're doing a static hold instead of looking at the clock as you're doing your set, you set the timer and then you don't look at it and you just be intentional. You be mindful with your effort. You're scanning your body. You're focusing on your breathing. It's crazy how much more you can tolerate when you're not focused on the self-limiting aspect of exercise. For sure. That also happened to me once when I was doing weighter walks and I think I was supposed to be carrying 25 kilos. And for some reason, I, I grabbed a 30, I didn't realize. And I lifted that 30 kilo, not realizing it was 30 kilo, I thought it was 25. I did it, and I was like, oh, that's pretty hard, not too bad, it's time to go up. I checked the weight, it was 30 kilo, and I was like, what? Did I just lift 30 kilos? That's so weird. Like, 
normally I wouldn't have done that. Normally I would have done 25 kilos and probably would have thought that's hard. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely agree with you on that. Now, of course, we're not recommending people go out and be reckless. It's more just understanding at large the, the potential that you've got if you don't limit yourself. This can be applied you know, in a safe way, of course. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Now, anyone that has seen Will's Instagram or follows you has seen quite quickly that you're doing some pretty insane stuff. Non-conventional type of movements, end range type of stretching positions, loaded calisthenics movements in end ranges once again. It just looks insane. You don't see it that commonly done. And you're quite known for doing things that are not really popular. And we tend to get the comment, people say things like, why don't you just do regular exercises? What's, what's the point of that? Um, just stick to things that are functional in everyday life. What's your response to that? Um, to be honest, the movements that I do, they're kind of like it's just mobility on steroids. You know, It's like I'm doing this pigeon press up. It's, if you pair that back, it's essentially just a pigeon, which is working on your performance and your glutes. It's just that I decided to see how far I can actually take that. And so that's where I kind of figured out that movement, which I thought was actually pretty cool. But um, yeah, of course, it's like people ask me, what's the point? Uh, but it's like the same. It's like, what's the point of doing anything in life? Why do you play golf? Why do you play basketball? Why do you play games? I mean, some of these things may have more applicable use in real life, but I think it comes down to what is that you enjoy? Like, does it actually bring you fulfillment does actually make you explore does it make you curious and so i think that's uh why i do the things i do because it gives me that outlet to be creative and explore it seems like it's just the inherent joy for the task itself and further to that seems like you're purposely choosing certain things that you're not great at that doesn't come natural to you is that what you've found to be a sense of fulfillment with your training for sure. I feel like if um, you just work on your strengths, it's there's no fulfillment there. It's like you're doing what you're good at. It's like an ego boost. But when you work on something that you know you suck at and you find progress, it's so it's very fulfilling um, to the point where you feel like you can achieve anything to some degree. It's like you're working on your middle splits and you get to get deeper and deeper. You know you suck at it. You know it's taking you ages, but you're seeing progress. It's like, oh, this is amazing. And so when you actually open up your body more, it gives you more opportunities to work on different skills. So obviously if you do like pancake, I'm not that good at pancake. If I worked on that, which I am, and then get really good at it, then I can do things like stolter press, stuff like that. So it's also introducing your upper body. So yeah, it's just a matter of trying to, for me, is to open up the whole entire body as best you can, try to make as strong as you can. You've also shared a lot of play. So doing things that you're doing to acquire new skills and challenge yourself in a different way. What have you found to be beneficial from play as opposed to structured training where it's everything has to be this way, done this way, etc.? It just gives you that outlet to not be so strict, I guess, because when you have a structured training, it's, it's very to the time, very much to the rep, very intentional. But when you actually take the time to play and you try to integrate the movements that you've just learned or acquired then it becomes more fun it's like another form of exploration and then from that exploration you might find something that you're lacking or that you feel like oh i can actually potentially move into this movement as well which maybe you can't do so that gives you the insight oh i need to train for this as well then so it's kind of interesting in the way it's like 
you're constantly exploring, you're constantly playing, you're just discovering new things. So that's why I kind of like uh, playing a lot and trying to do things. And most of the time when I play, it's uh, I don't even know if I can actually do the things that I'm doing. It's just random thoughts. I just think of particular movements, like one of them was the, the front lever 360. It was just a thought. I was like, can this actually work? And I tried it and I couldn't do it. I could do like a 180. And so I was like troubleshooting how I can actually do it. I was training for it, training for it. And because I played with it, I actually got to the point where I had to train for it. So that came part of my training regimen. And then I came back to it a few months later and then tried it again. And I was able to, to some degree, achieve it after attempting a few times. So yeah. Yeah, that's great. So for the people, the benefit of play is the potential to assess and identify where you might be limited in a certain exercise. And I know, Will, you've been tackling the handstand push-up and you've had tons of insights with this movement. And I noticed that you tend to uncover things through trying really awkward entries, playing with different type of balance components of the exercise. What have you found through play in that respect? So with handstand push-up, I didn't think I, I played too much because that was a very challenging one for me. Um, what I did find or what I did do was a lot of uh, EMOMs actually and through that I was able to figure out where my technical deficiencies were. Um, I definitely had the strength for it. It was just more so to some degree the balancing but balancing in certain points which is very interesting and very weird because I had to really take the time and figure out how my body positioning needs to be in whichever point. And so I play with that a little bit in terms of the positioning. So I play with arching my lower back, I play with trying to go on a hollow body and seeing where my legs need to be, where did my elbows need to be, where did my shoulders need to be. So yeah, I'm playing in that regards, but I do it through EMOMs specifically. Yeah. Can you explain what EMOMs are? Yeah, so it's every minute on the minute. So technically you would perform a movement for, or movements for a set number of repetitions and then once you complete that uh, movement for set reps you take the remaining time off so if you say you do 10 push-ups it takes you 20 seconds then you take the 40 seconds off for break and then you repeat either that exercise or a new exercise for the next minute yeah so i use this concept for quite a lot of things um i use it for one-arm handstands so not one-arm handstands one-arm chin-ups back in the day um i used it for back lever supinator grip. Um, that was because I was trying to achieve a movement that I came up in my head one night, which was segmenting the 360 pull. So you know when you go into like a hang, you go all the way around German hang, come all the way back. So I had this idea, how can I actually go from like a front lever, hold for like a second, go into a candlestick, hold for a second, go into a back lever, hold for a second, German hang, second, and then reverse it. Same thing, candlestick back to a back lever, a second, back lever to candlestick, one second. So I tested it and I found that the front lever part was all good, it was just the back lever part. It was like coming from the German hang into the back lever, then back lever to the German uh, candlestick was quite challenging. So I used EMOM to tackle that aspect. I just did um, negative back levers, supinated grip, uh, working on my straight arm strength, and did that 10 times for like a month. And then after that, I was able to achieve that particular movement that I wanted to do. 
Nice. So anyone that's listening, watching that has ever tried to enter a back lever from a German hang, skin the cat, knows that it's just tremendous elbow killer, bicep tendon stress. It's It takes a lot. So with that EMOM structure, as I understand it, uh, correct me or add insights if it's any different, but it seems like it allows you to do a high quality of work with a high volume as opposed to just trying to do the same amount of work in fewer sets? For sure, for sure. Um, definitely it does because it gives you time or gives you more time to rest so you can perform whatever rep it is or reps that are very high quality because if you just do like say eight repetitions, again, your, uh, your technical proficiency is going to degrade. So if you just do like one, two reps here, take a minute, one, two reps here, you're always going to have a high quality rep. And so it also gives you the opportunity to work on that technical proficiency as well uh, to help break it down. Break it down. Um, so when I normally do emos, I just do the one exercise and then I take that whatever rest that I have in between to just visualize uh, how I felt in that movement and what do I need to actually do in order to make the next repetition better. Yeah, so it's kind of like introspecting in a way in terms of that particular movement at that point in time. With your training, you're very lean. It definitely seems to help you move around very gracefully. Is this something that happens as a result of calisthenics or is it lifestyle, nutrition? What's your what's your answer for us here? It's, it's, it's definitely lifestyle for sure. I think as a younger age, I've always been active. I've always been moving. Uh, before I was bodybuilding, I was playing sport. I was playing basketball. Uh, then I did bodybuilding. Then I did calisthenics. I think I never really took a break. I never, well, I did. Well, I took a break for five weeks, which is when I was traveling. But even when I was traveling, I was still to some degree moving around, walking, hiking, doing a little bit of body weight here and there. So I think X uh, lifestyle played a massive role. Genetics also played a role, but definitely lifestyle. Just that consistency of moving and to some degree trying to eat healthy. I think when I was younger, I just ate like crap. I was just eating everything. I was just eating like meat pies, sausage rolls, chicken nuggets, french fries, just whatever. And at some point I had to switch because I knew that if I wanted to build a good body, I need to kind of eat a little bit healthier. So I switched, uh, I got that kind of mentality from bodybuilding where you need to kind of eat very clean. But then I kind of was like too strict. I was like, oh man, I can't live my life. So then I kind of had to have a happy medium, have a balance of eating junk food, but eating clean. So I always eat clean just after I train because I feel like that's when I need the cleanest nutrients in my body. And generally at that time, I might have to sweep. But there was one time actually where I was eating dessert every single night. Because I love to bake as well. I'll be baking cakes and I'll be eating a slice of cake every single night for like six months. That wasn't good, by the way, just to let you know. But yeah. There you go. Good. We've got um, potentially a William Sue baking spin-off on the cards. <laughs> Maybe, let's see. But it's, it's nice to hear a fellow fitness professional being honest and authentic with their approach to nutrition because the way we could summarize it is you wouldn't go out and spend your entire budget financially all in one go or you shouldn't and the same thing goes for nutrition so instead everyone is human they're going to have you know certain desires to eat certain things good to do it in moderation doesn't sound sexy but it's nice to hear it from you as well yeah for sure definitely it's gonna don't beat on one end of the spectrum 
too much. Just have a happy balance and just enjoy your life, you know? It's the main thing. It's got to be able to enjoy your life. For sure. Now, there's this notion that over time with training experience, you learn to understand your body, knowing what it needs and what it doesn't need. Do you have any advice for beginners, intermediates, who are newer in the game of training in terms of advice for learning how to understand, to listen to their body? Yeah, so I think when you do anything, any kind of exercise or anything in life in general, it's you need to set an intention or have an intention as to what you're doing. Because so then when you have an intention, then you know exactly what you should be in terms of fitness exercise, what you should be activating or how the movement should be. If you don't have that intention and you're kind of mindlessly doing it, then it's very hard to be aware of what's supposed to be working or what's supposed to be engaged. Today's sponsor for the show is Fitness FAQs. Use the coupon code PODCAST10 to save 10% at checkout when shopping on fitnessfaqs.com. Enjoy the discount and let's get back to the conversation. Now you said earlier that the world of building muscle, strength came a bit more naturally to you. What made you embrace the world of flexibility and mobility? Uh, I guess it goes back to weaknesses, right? Um, I knew that I was always strong. I knew that it was easy for me to some degree to build muscle, but to actually become flexible was super, super hard for me. Like I've been working on middle splits for maybe like one and a half years now. And it's just, it's so stubborn. It's super, super stubborn. Even like a spine thoracic bridge is like super stubborn. So it's just like knowing that if I do, or if I can actually unlock these uh, skills or unlock my body, I know that I can actually do more movements. I can actually create better flows instead of being stuck to whatever I'm doing now and just relying on strength and strength and strength. So that's kind of why I embrace it. It's just the pure wantingness to open up my body so I can further see what my body is capable of. It's refreshing for myself and the audience to hear that it does take time, even for someone as dedicated and disciplined as yourself, particularly when it comes to the flexibility stuff. It just can't be discounted how long it takes to get stronger in those new ranges. It's not like you're doing some seemingly simple exercise by comparison, say like a pull-up doesn't require flexibility. Really, everyone can jump up on the bar and do it to some degree. But when it comes to incrementally expanding on your usable range of motion, that's a process and it's definitely not linear in nature and it takes time. Mm. And I think for me is like, I always was able to gain skills relatively fast, but when it came to like getting more range of motion, it really, it, it played on me in the past. Like, why can't I get this? Why is this taking so long? Come on. I get frustrated and then I'll kind of just not do it anymore for a while and come back to it, try it again. So it's just, yeah, it's also a, a mindset thing that, you know, you have to be patient in trying to attain these kind of things. It's interesting how you wouldn't approach your strength work with that type of mindset. I'm sure, well, as you just said, you haven't taken time off exclusively since you've started training. But when it comes to the flexibility stuff, I think people have it with a different mindset with what is involved through that process. And a key thing is prioritization. I feel that this area tends to be quite stubborn, but we never really give it the attention it deserves. And I can relate to what you said there, Will. I found 
with um, trying to improve my back bridge, it was always put there as like an afterthought. I'll do all my strength work and you know, put a lot of effort into it. And then, you know, afterwards I'd be working on my bridge or on a day which should be a rest day, I'm doing the bridge and I'm tired. But it took a complete shift to be like, okay, if this is my priority, I need to be able to step back to actually put in effort and allow my body to recover and actualize the gains. So that was a big shift for me, uh, ego drop that I had to have. From your experience with programming, it's something that people get really overwhelmed with. It can be quite complicated how to design a workout, how to design a training program. What have been some principles that you can give to people that can help them making the most effective progress towards their goals? Work on a logical way. So like work on strength first, work on the hardest things first, and then go to something more like hypertrophy where it's higher reps. So it's not going to be as prone to injury. And then I guess thirdly would be working on accessory work where it's more like working towards your weaknesses. Uh, could be still muscles like the rotator cuffs or something like this, where there's pretty much no real risk of injury. So always putting the hardest stuff at the start and then slowly kind of making it easier and easier and just doing more repetitions and more repetitions. But I think with programming, it's like, you just need to do something first. You don't, you can't really choose a perfect program or there is no real perfect program. It's like you do something, you see how you feel, and then you tinker it from there. Maybe this wasn't working, maybe this rest wasn't working, maybe it's, I need more rest or maybe it's too high volume. And when it comes to programming also, it's, it's very individualized. You have to actually just test it out for yourself and just see how it actually works for you before you can actually change it or adjust it. So yeah, it's definitely an art in that sense. Yeah, I find that just starting a bit more conservatively is something that I wish I did earlier instead of just coming out of the gate like I've got these new goals, I'm super motivated, I'm going to go very close to failure if not failing on most sets and then you get to like week two or week three and you, you can no longer make progress. So I find that that's just a, a lesson I wish I knew sooner too. For sure, especially if you're a beginner or it's a muscle that you haven't really worked on before and you're just weak, then definitely starting slow is uh, definitely a good way to go. And slowly just getting familiar with the movement and just slowly working on your, your way up to it as opposed to just gassing out at the very start and just getting injured, which has happened to me before, but yeah, it's uh, a life learning lesson for sure. Now, I imagine for someone that's been training so hard and long over the years, you've, you've had a few injuries along the way. What are some of the lessons that you've learned through those experiences? Um, injuries, yeah, definitely. The thing with injuries is you don't know you're injured until you're injured. Right? It's like you don't know where that limit is until you've reached that limit. It's like you don't know where the end of the forest is until you walk to the end of the forest. So it's like you almost have to, to some degree, get injured to understand where your threshold is. And I know that it sounds sucky, but it's like the only way you can tell kind of where your limit is. And then for the injuries, you, it's important that you actually take that as feedback as opposed to, you know, taking it personally or getting emotional about it. Because um, once you get emotional about it, that's when you kind of get depressed and it kind of puts you back in a hole and that's where you get setbacks. But if you see it as a learning lesson as to why you get injured, then it's much easier to gauge how you should be training uh, next time. 
could be it was just overtraining, it could be it was too much weight, or you did something wrong, maybe it was technically not right. So once you can actually figure out what the problem was and analyze it and assess what happened, then that's where the value comes in with injuries. So I say to a lot of people, like, injuries are like a blessing in disguise, if you see it that way. No matter how sucky they are, they actually give you a very good learning life lesson, for sure. And I think from that as well, as um, I'd get injured in my shoulder, and I, before I'd be like, oh man, I can't do anything anymore, I don't know what to do with my body. And so I'd get stuck up on that injury, but then I realized there's so many other parts of your body that you can actually train. And so that's why I was like, oh, I can try to do this with my body, I can try to work on my hips. You know, so it's like, not, you're, not, you're not limited to that particular injury, it's just how you see it. What has your approach been so far? Have you been more of a trial and error type of trainer or have you been more science, evidence, reading type of person? I mean, I do look at the science behind things, which I find interesting, but at the end of the day, everyone is different. Like you have to trial and error. Um, obviously, if I try one program, it might work for me, but it might not work for someone else. Like I've read things where if you do like oh, work on five by five, you can get a lot of strength. And I actually tried that when I was working on dips and I stagnated. I got to about 75 kilos, no 70 kilos, five by five. And after that, I could not get any more. This was when I was trying to get to that 100 kg when I ran. And so what I did was I tested to see if I tried something else, if I could actually progress. So what I did was I did three by eight and I did that frequency of twice a week. And I actually found that I could do 75 kilos three by eight. And before I was doing five by five, 70 kilos. So I found, oh, this is actually working for me. That's so interesting. And it's like a mixture between strength and hypertrophy. And that's actually when I hit my 100 kg when I ran after I hit the three times eight, 75 kilo. So I think it's a matter of you really have to just look at the evidence, but don't be attached to it. You have to kind of experiment with it, see if it works for you. And if it does work for you, don't just stay there. Like, uh, try other things because you only know what you know, right? So if you know one thing, it works, you stick to it, it's all been well, but there's just so many other ways of doing things, it really is. That's a great point you highlighted about just because something works in one moment doesn't mean it's going to work forever, especially as you progress and get more advanced. It's nice to hear that it's not really black and white. It has to be this way if you want to get strong, this way if you want to build muscle. It has to be built in like a cyclical type of fashion, right? For sure. And I think it also depends on the movement as well, uh, the body part. Like I could do that for dips, but I might not be able to do that for some other type of movement, maybe lower body oriented, it might be different. Like at the moment I'm trying for muscle ups, I was trying to do five by five, but that's just so intense. Like five by five is just like, I feel like it's almost like cardio and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh man. So I had to kind of put it back a bit. So I switched to like six by three and I find that's actually working a little bit better for me. So yeah, it really also depends on which movement you're choosing and which muscle groups uh, that you're working on as well. Could we take from that will that perhaps the more technical or skillful uh, exercise is, the approach has to be a bit different, right? For sure. So there's just so many variables. Like obviously the muscle up that uh, becomes more and more technical the heavier it gets, uh, which is what I found. Like uh, my own body weight was super easy. Like I'm just muscling it, literally. I'm not relying on that much technique. I'm just muscling it up. But when I put weight on, it's like I can't muscle it up. I have to rely on technique. And that technique kind of... Uh, fades away to some degree if you don't be careful and be mindful of actually how you're performing the movement. 
So that's why I'm kind of just lowering the, the rep range and really trying to focus on actual uh, how I feel when I go for that movement. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing for sure. What would be the signs and symptoms you'd be looking for in terms of an approach is effective or not being as effective as it could be? Continuing with, say, muscle-ups as that example. Mm, well, it really depends on if you're progressing or not. Like, if you're not progressing at all with whatever you do, then obviously something needs to change. So for me, what I wasn't progressing was the 5x5. Five five. I was finding that I was fatiguing. Uh, I couldn't really continue to do the same quality of reps uh, after each set. I just found that I was just, the quality was degrading. And so I found that um, because of that, my technique was also degrading. So I just couldn't perform the movement. It was just like I'm struggling. So I was like, yeah, I, I got to switch it out because it's too, too many muscles being involved, too much strength, energy being involved. You need to kind of pair it back. Now, a skill that I've really admired from seeing your posts over the years, Will, is your ability to achieve something and then also let go. How do you go about doing this? Because for myself and I'm sure many other people, we get very attached to a skill that we can do, a strength movement, and we identify with that. How have you been able to let go of that attachment in pursuit of something that you want to do later on? Mm. So I definitely did feel this sort of attachment in the past. Um, and I definitely did feel identified to that. Um, but I think it's, it was once I started my Instagram, I used my Instagram as a journal. I used it as a journal to record what I've done and how I've done it. So that's um, one thing. And of course, by having no attachments, you can kind of see things more clearly. And that could be, there could be many ways to actually reach that one goal, whatever you're reaching. Even though that means having a setback. Um, if you have an injury or stuff like that, then you can reassess, step back, not be attached, and see how you can move from there without having any kind of emotion attached to it. Um, and by having no attachment, it gives you the freedom and opportunity to explore, which is why I've let go of so many skills in the past. It just gives you that uh, opportunity to, let's say, check out this land, and then, oh, I want to check out this land. So it's the idea of exploring new territories and keep going. If you just stay in that one territory, then you're never actually going to let go of it and you're just going to stay there and you're going to be quite comfortable in that situation. And I think it's understanding that everything is also temporary, you know? It's good to set a goal, but uh, it's the process of getting there is where the value lies. And um, that's where all the valuable learning comes from. So that's why I can actually let go of so many skills. There's quite a few reasons there, but I'll definitely learn how to not be attached in not just in fitness or skills, but in life in general uh, is going to help a lot. That's a very deep insight and conclusion that is a reality of aging because you're not going to look the same. You're not going to be as strong forever. So it's like, in a way, you're almost preparing yourself for the inevitable. It's not robbing you of the, the process and the outcome. But I think that that's an awareness that many people skip out on. How many times do you hear of that elite athlete who just associates with that one thing and they just can't let it go, even though it is going to end someday? Or the person that hangs on to a relationship when it's time to end and they don't move on. So I, I really do like that and resonate with that, Will. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think just that the art of letting go just makes things 
so much easier. And for me, it's like I let go of my my body and how it looks, if that's believable or not. I I let go of how my body looks when I start bodybuilding. To be honest, once I start bodybuilding and once I entered calisthenics, I was just purely just trying to go skill, 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 skill. And you know, my body is just a, a byproduct of these skills that I'm trying to achieve. So knowing that my body is not going to be what it is today, tomorrow, next year. I just focus on the present moment and focus on what I can should do right now without being superly overtouched to it. And it's that whole idea of form following function. So by you focusing on what you're trying to achieve on a more performance-based outcome, inevitably your body's going to reflect that. There'll be certain decisions you make with your exercises, your nutrition, your sleep in order to improve in that domain, which gives you the outcome of the looks for a body that supports this. Whereas if someone just wants to focus on that, they're probably not spending their emotional energy in a way which is most conducive, which is the task itself. For sure. I think when you do attach yourself onto something, there's a reason for how you're attached onto something. So it could be, let's say, for example, if I'm attaching to my body, there could be a level of insecurity. I mean, that's kind of what I thought when I was bodybuilding. Um, I got massive and then I found it super hard to let go of it. It's like, what am I if I don't have this body? I'm going to be this skinny guy. You know, so I was kind of like identifying myself with that. And that was just the insecurity of me being small and insignificant. And once I was able to actually let go of that, it was just super liberating. You know, just like you're free. But it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do for sure. It was definitely a process process now i'm sure you like everyone listening and watching shares a burning passion to progress but we all know from experience that just mindlessly going for it with full force full intensity all the time doesn't always lead to the best results how do you balance this strong passion to progress with the awareness to step back and assess what level of effort you should be doing that's an interesting question. I think a lot of people get that burning desire because of what they see on social media. And I think what is seen on social media is like people don't really show their progress. They just show what they've done, right? And when you see heaps of people doing it, it's like, oh, I wouldn't do it. And because we live in this day where everything is kind of instant, we don't appreciate the time and effort that goes into actually obtaining something, we just are impatient. And so we have this burning desire, just get it, get it, get it, and push super hard. And I've also been there before as well. Um, but I think it's by understanding that everyone is different, uh, everyone has a different journey, then you can actually go at your own pace. And that's kind of where that balance comes from when you gain that clarity and wisdom to be able to make those appropriate decisions of when you actually do need to rest and reevaluate as opposed to just pushing, pushing, pushing and just trying to get there first. Perfect. It's, yeah, just having that balance of realistic expectations, but also goals and pursuits that stretch you just that little bit more. Not so much where it's just all consuming and you're just bound up, stressed about it, frustrated. It seems like that's a good way to look at it, Will. For sure, for sure. Definitely. I think that's the, I'm going to pressure go about it. With respect to grip and forearm strength, you posted this insane feat of human ability which was an alternating 
20 minute one arm hang. What were the takeaways you got from reaching this level of grip strength? And did you find that there was transferability to calisthenics? Mm, yeah, sure. So the main takeaway I got from that was the limiting belief. That was the, the main takeaway. Um, like I said to you before, I thought like I only could do 10 minutes, but I ended up achieving doubling that. Um, transference to things definitely. I feel like my grip strength is way stronger. So I feel like I can actually, well, because I can grip stronger, I can transfer the energy throughout my arm. So when I do like anything like pull-ups or anything arm-related, like grabbing a bar, that kind of stuff, I feel like it's, it's less taxing on my forearms and I can focus more on, let's say if it's front leg, I can focus more, focus more on my lats. For example, instead of like putting attention to my grip strength or my forearms and my lats, that kind of thing. So definitely it feels like I don't have to worry about my forearm strength as much, um, provided I just tense a lot harder and I can put more attention to other parts of my body. Appreciate your time, Will. Where can people find out more about your work? Uh, on my Instagram, uh, it's pretty much where I post everything. Uh, so my tag, my handle is WSO, W-S-O-O underscore M-V-M-T. That's where you can find me. Perfect, mate. Take care and we'll train soon in person someday. Yeah, for sure. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having your podcast. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Visit fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro.